Hey guys, welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number 42. So today we are joined by Callum Raystrick and Callum is a coach from M10. So M10 is a personal training studio, a private studio in Nottingham, UK. Um, I'm not sure as to how long Callum has been there, but I'm sure we will get into that in a minute. But I'm very, very happy to have him on as a guest today we've been going back and forth on instagram i think we we share very similar opinions on a lot of things especially with regards to training and it's funny how you know you just come across these people on instagram that you just look at one video or one post and you like yeah i i totally resonate with your point of view i can just look at like the post you put up this morning of you like struggling on a hack squat like that's my kind of post like i love those kind of things and uh yeah so super pumped to have callum on board for this episode we're going to talk a lot about um digestion which i think is is quite a uh sort of a topic that's kind of missed a lot people tend to not really talk about digestion and a nutrient uptake for for bodybuilders but it, it serves so much relevance because at the end of the day we're a lot of what's controlled with body composition for a bodybuilder is controlled by how we uptake food and how we digest food and if we're not doing that optimally then surely we aren't an optimal bodybuilder or in an optimal position to be the best that we can be so Callum, um, for the listeners that don't know who you are um, or haven't heard of you before, please just give like a little bit of a brief introduction as to yourself, what you do, and, and a bit about your background. Um, so basically, uh, from a probably a, a younger age, it's been more um, sports orientated through through rugby. Sure. Uh, um, went through uni. Most I did mostly um, business at uni. It was more of a um, it was a Harvard College, so it was a heavily, heavily kind of sport orientated environment, um, which kind of introduced me to training, I guess, but more from a, a performance aspect. Um, okay. I just fell in love with training in general. Um, and then I think from from a, a passion side of it, a lot of my um, my background, I guess, has been just falling in love with this kind of process and this um, this sport in general, and falling in love with how we can kind of um, manipulate the body and perform better and looking at digestion and stuff but just a general fan of um just just bodybuilding in general really um so from uni i did the, the standard thing um kind of you have to go through the processes of becoming a pt and doing your diploma which doesn't really doesn't really teach you much initially um and then you kind of pick pick your battles and and choose where you go from there in terms of education um and then spent a a couple of years through more of a commercial environment in terms of um, gyms. So I started did a year at LA Fitness and did okay. a year um, down in in Kent. And then uh, did, you, the... did you enjoy that phase? Did you like the sort of the commercial aspect, or what did you find I that think, you maybe didn't like about it? I think it's um, it's a really important part for a trainer to go through that just because of the amount of footfall you get in terms of clients yes. and the amount of experience you get in terms of just dealing with different people, different problems, different issues. Sure. Um, and it teaches you a lot about becoming more efficient as a, a kind of a businessman and woman as well in terms of time management and stuff like that. So um, I, I knew it wasn't exactly something I wanted to do forever, but it definitely served its purpose in being valuable. Sure. Um, I picked up a lot of skills there and then kind of, um, decided I wanted to 
to specialize in more of a, a physique kind of aspect because I'm, I'm most pa- I'm most passionate about that mm. and what you'll find is um, I'm sure you find this yourself as well um, and a lot of people resonate with this sometimes at commercial facilities you'll end up becoming um, kind of a jack of all trades because you're dealing with such a breadth of client base yeah um, and for me it was I had like a, a handful of clients that I love to work with because it was it was resonating what I was passionate with. Yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of delve into just being specific with that. So um, opportunity opportunity came up with um, M10 in yeah. in Tottenham, um, and we've been been here for probably I think it's almost eighteen months now. So wow. um, yeah, nice. One thing Cool, and obviously you get such a cool facility to train in as well as as well as coach your clients. So, do you sort of um, at M10 do you coach sort of primarily physique athletes, or 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 do you sort of coach coach people that are just sort of looking to maximise their their muscle gain or or fat loss phases? Like, what sort of people are you working with at the moment? I think it's it's a big um, this is a big misconception about what you'll see on social media and stuff, but from a from a facility, like it's, it's, you know, the client base that we're dealing with is just like any other place. Okay. Um, so you're going to have a wide range of clientele. Mm. Uh, the only thing that kind of sets us out aside a little bit is the the processes which we go through um, to get these clients through to, you know, the the process of where they want to get to in terms of their goals. Okay. Um, we're trying to apply. Um, the principles that you'd apply to a physique athlete. So we're looking at digestion, we're looking at kind of training variables, we're looking at recovery, um, you know, lifestyle, stress, etc. All these different aspects and, and packing them into one um, kind of system, I guess. Um, so from a client, from a client perspective, I'll have clients from from a wide range of of people. But I guess you'd probably say it's more. Um, I probably have more kind of physique orientated people now than I, I, I did before. Yeah, sure. Yeah, amazing. And, and you know, that definitely definitely pays off when you're working with clients. Like you said, you know, you're more passionate about the physique related stuff and you're more passionate about this this mastering of the process. And when you can put someone else through the process, it's it's so rewarding. I know that with myself, you know, coming from a background of of spending a, a good year and a half working with just sort of very much general population, jack of all trades type thing to coming across and, and now getting the opportunity to work with people that are mostly focused on on purely hypertrophy goals or getting ready for the stage. It, it is ultimately a more rewarding process when you're, when you're super passionate about that. So, so that's wicked. So like I said, guys, we're going to get stuck into the topic of, of digestion and, and see where that takes us today. So Callum, first up, what do we actually mean by digestion and what's the relevance of digestion when it comes to our like all of us as bodybuilders or anyone that really wants to enhance their physique the main the main concern for us in terms of what's most applicable is looking at the food you know we're all setting out um macros and calories and stuff and giving people a x amount of food for for their given goal but we've got to also look at their ability or our ability to to digest and assimilate those foods so to actually capitalize on the nutrients that we're taking in from a diet sure um, and to get the the full benefit from those foods or those nutrients um you know this is going to be from a from a training perspective and from what we're putting our bodies through um we're going to need a heightened level of nutrition to recover from that and kind of to 
to um, respond in, in the best way we can. So um, getting the most out of the food we're eating and making sure that's being absorbed properly or the, to the best of our ability is going to be so, so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agreed. And I, I think one of the first things that we should potentially touch on is is sort of what do you see going wrong when it comes to people looking at digestion? What do people not take into account? And why do you think that people end up with these issues we tend to see a lot of people complaining of 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 bad gut health and and sort of like issues like you know constipation feeling extremely bloated throughout massing phases and and not being able to eat their food like what what are the issues what are people not taking into account so i think so you bring up kind of the the massing phase scenario that's probably the biggest um the biggest topic you'd normally see people complaining about in terms of, you know, our, our main goal here, um, we, we can't let the volume of food that we need to take on board to be a limiting factor in our progress. Okay. Uh, so we need to align kind of our our decision making with allowing that to be as easy as possible to consume. Uh, and from, from my perspective as well, um, you know, from personal experience and with clients, and you all have been the same before, we start to kind of um, adapt food selection to, to what's easiest to eat at certain points. Um, so the biggest kind of considerations are, you know, we're, we're on a, uh, an above normal level of food and especially things that are hard to digest as well, like proteins, mm-hmm. animal-based proteins, and we're gonna require, for the most part, a little bit more supplementation or supplementary support to allow all of that stuff and food to, to digest and assimilate properly within the body. Um, so you'll see things like bloating being a, a common issue. Most people, you know, you'll be the same here when you get a client from the, from the offset, it will say on the consultation form or they'll, they'll nine times out of 10, they'll say kind of, I get some, some bloating from a specific food or I, I feel bloated quite a lot or I get flatulence or gas. Sure. Uh, we've, we've got to look at the, the implications that has on the body, but potentially why it's, it's happening as well. Um, and when we have any kind of bloating, flatulence, gas, etc., um, any kind of gastric distress, we can probably almost guarantee um, that there's going to be some form of impaired absorb- absorption for nutrients as well. Um, and nine times out of ten, for a lot of people, it's just going to be a case of just making sure food selection's on point. So picking the foods that they can, from, a, from an anecdotal perspective, that we can see that they digest the best and they feel the best off. Um, you know, a, a big thing with people through massing phases is just poor food selection. So we've got, you know, we've got still, still a lot of people with the kind of notion that I, I need to eat nutrient dense, clean foods and stuff. But there's there's a certain point if you get three, four, five thousand calories above, um, you know, where we need to be taken on board to to go through a massing phase. If we're having that from brown rice, potato, oh. veg, and chicken and and beef and stuff. You know, from a digestive perspective, it's going to be hell. Yes. Uh, so we're starting to see, this is this is becoming a lot more prominent now we're starting to see people kind of be more intuitive now to look at food selection being um a, a big kind of concern in terms of picking the foods that are going to be most digestible um but the supplementation side is going to be something that not a lot of people are aware of but some basic things that we can add in to, to help us really yeah absolutely i mean i, th- I think this is something that is why you almost need to periodize your approach to food options. Mm. It's, it's something that I've talked about a few times. And it, it's funny how, you know, it, it obviously people will look at bodybuilding and they'll think just like chicken and rice, chicken and rice, and, and all these bland, boring foods that 
on the way up you have to eat those on the way down you have to eat those when in reality if you periodize your approach and you match your food groups or your food selection to the process so you say okay well on the way up i'm going to eat more calorie dense foods as opposed to on the way down i'm going to look towards um, less calorie dense foods more food volume because if you're smashing in like you said all this clean food on the way up when you're eating like that above sometimes 4,000 calorie mark the fiber total on that is just going to be obscene and obviously we know the prevalence on the way down of fiber as as a as a as a way to provide fullness and satiety so you know i think that people need to look at their nutrition over the long term and think okay right in this phase i'm going to change my food options on the way up i'm going to change them on the way down um and with yourself with your nutrition like what what changes massively like if you look at a day of eating in a massing phase peak massing phase comparative to a day of eating like when you're really really lean and you're pushing your body weight as low as you well you're pushing your conditioning as hard as you can what's the differences in terms of food selections so i think you've just kind of hit the nail on the head there in terms of there's kind of like um a switch that, that turns when food gets to a certain level yeah. Uh, I was doing this with the client the other day, actually, he's in a, a prepping for a photo shoot at the moment, and his food's been, been relatively high for the majority of his prep, and now we're starting to chip away a little bit more to elicit more of a response. Yes. Um, and, and one of the kind of big, big um, take-home messages for, for us here is we're looking at kind of like his post-workout feeding. So we're looking at the foods potentially he was eating, you know, three months ago post-workout when his carbs were at kind of 250 grams of carbs in his first post-workout meal. Now, oh. I'm not giving him rice or potato or whatever in that meal because it's going to be impossible to, to kind of get down. Mm. Uh, so we'd look at cereals and we'd look at kind of crumpets and jam and all this stuff that's really easy to get down and it's quite appetizing so he can eat a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, but last week he got down to, I think it was something like 75 grams post-workout um and if food throughout the day isn't high um i want to give him more satiating um kind of voluminous options so i think we went for um like a mixture uh, option between sweet potato um and something like jasmine rice or something that both have more food volume um but we're going back to like you said picking food selection based on what's going to improve satiety as well Whereas if he's if he's at 250 grams post workout, satiety is going to be one of our our, our least concerned factors, right? Yeah, uh, it's almost like pick the ones that you can get in type. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. Um, so you know we, we know a lot of coaches with sort of like um, macro based protocols when it comes to nutrition. So you know you'll set your carbs, fat, protein for the day, and off you go. And we know Callum at the bottom of the table is going to be that the the person individual hitting those numbers is going to be the main factor that's going to influence body composition to a certain extent now obviously we've got a factor in adherence on top of that so obviously you were talking through your 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 diet there with a with a photo shoot client now uh with most of the people you're working with are you working with a structure so do you sort of give them a meal plan as opposed to just giving them the macros or do you give them both and and sort of what do you think are the arguments for and, and against sort of meal plan approaches with with clients i think but both have their place um from my perspective as a coach i'll look when they're t- when they're coming on board as a client i'll look at what they've been doing for the last six 12 months 
um, and get an idea of where I'm going to go in at in terms of how much rigidity I'm going to put within a plan. Okay. Um, if something, if somebody's kind of tracking macros and they're just getting a number in by the end of the day, and I can see that they're eating quite kind of intuitively and flexibly, then I'm not going to put them on a kind of a rigid structure straight away. But I will want to try and kind of capitalize on certain aspects of nutrient timing throughout the day, just so we can get the most out of a diet. Um, for, for most people, I'll look at kind of um, transferring their numbers for the day and their calories for the day to approximately what I want to see in each meal around the day. Uh, and most importantly, just the meals around training. Okay. And then there's going to be a little bit more flexibility at other parts of the day. Um, but yeah, so, you know, so some guys that I know that guys and girls that are going to know that are going to respond more to flexibility, you know, through a, through an off season phase, maybe I'll just give them numbers and I'll give them guidance. I'll have people like um, the guy I was programming yesterday with his diet that he's going to be someone that responds to this structure now and he doesn't really want to think about it. So I'll be very specific in terms of the amounts he's eating at a certain point and what his numbers are hit for the meal and he'll just follow the blueprint. Sure, uh, sure. You know, sure. I, I guess from your perspective now in terms of dieting, you'll, you'll thrive off kind of um, – you know, you don't want to be thinking about what you're going to be punching into my fitness pal for a meal. It's having a structure that it just takes guesswork out, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that that's that's a really big pro of just having a plan, and even 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 if it's like a a fairly flexible plan in the sense that you know, if you if if one day you want to swap a fat source or or swap a protein source, you can. But having those numbers that you sort of roughly rely on each day to hit with each meal i think i really do think that provides something called momentum and consistency and this idea of i know at 130 i'm going to have this and it's this macronutrient sort of ratio or lineup or setup and and that just makes your body feel a certain way that mm. that way you know not monday you've had carbs at breakfast and then you've realized fuck by meal by by 5 p.m i've got no carbs left and 40 grams of protein and two fat like you're going to bed starving like yeah. i know like the way that and in the last podcast we talked a lot about sort of nutrient timing as well it's like i know i've set up my pre-bed meal for not only like psychological reward like for me to also have a meal that sets me up for sleep because yeah. we know how important sleep is and, you know, I think this is something that, again, just people miss out on. And obviously it's very prevalent to digestion as well when we're going into gaining phases. Like, you know, if you can eat when you're potentially more hungry or you can eat when you potentially have better digestion levels, like that's going to provide a better diet for you. So when it comes to sort of like digestion and and food options and in a massing phase, when do you sort of like if you have a window of time where you're putting the majority of food, I know that you talked about like peri workout window in terms of food and, and situating a good amount of it there. What do you lay more weight on? Like, do you put more food post-workout? Do you put in a lot of intra-workout shakes, pre-workout? Um, like, is this preference-based or is there a reasoning behind potentially having more food at a given point in, in the day for, for mm. a client? 
I think obviously, like you said before, our, our biggest determining factor is going to be food across today. But nutrient timing is someone from even looking at evidence now and research is something we can't really dismiss yes. because of the, the importance of it, the implications it can have positively. Okay. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of of placing nutrition around training first, yeah. and then looking at placing the rest around the other parts of the day. Um, the amounts are going to be relative to what they're on and what I think they could probably get away with, but. Um, you know, post-workout is probably going to be, um, or is specifically going to be the biggest bolus of carbohydrate. Um, just if we look at that kind of, um, you know, it's been dismissed in terms of, um, it's been a little bit dismissed and played down in terms of the importance of it. But if we look at that in, increased window of cell sensitivity to take on glucose and shuttle it into, into where it needs to go post-workout, especially if somebody's training really hard as well, sure. um, we'd be really silly not to capitalize on that. Um, so I'd always go a larger bolus post-workout. I, I use intra-workout shakes with a lot of people. Um, like I said, again, I, especially if I know that they're training at a high intensity. Mm-hmm. And I know you at the moment, you're, you're getting a lot from that as well in terms of even if it's a placebo, if you have that 20 grams or whatever grams of carbohydrate during training, sure. it's a big mental thing as well, right? So yes. It's a mental aid. Um, but for my, my philosophy on intra is you know, either we're using um, some quality essential amino acids, so we've got the full spectrum there, um, kind of three to five grams of leucine, um, or we could use something like a, a casein hydrolysate, like a Petso Pro, if they can if they can handle it, um, just a little bit. And then carbohydrate is going to be based on how much they can realistically tolerate without feeling a little bit sick. Yeah, uh, sure. And probably start lower and increase it if we need to, if their food's been pushed up. Um, post-workout, the largest feeding. Pre-workout for me, I guess, is um, look, I, I'm not, you know, massive pre-workout meals normally kind of increase um, lethargy, lethargy in most people. Yeah, yeah. They're high in carbohydrate as well. I've struggled with this in the past as well. Um, so I get kind of my, my thought process on that and we'll play around with this throughout the process, but um, getting kind of, the, the least amount of carbohydrate into maximize productivity within a session. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we need to push it up, we will, but um, pre-workout is a dangerous one just because just it, it can really, you know, if you've got a full stomach of food, even if your food selection is spot on, if you're digesting and blood's rushing to your to your digestive system, um, you're not going to feel good when you train. Yeah. Um, we'd always go kind of post-workout and the meals after that, start slowly starting to taper down. Um, yeah. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think that's I think that's something that I have reports from on a lot of clients is like they play about with this sort of nutrient timing and, and when they feel most best eating food. And it tends to be that the general feedback is that lethargy and feelings of like just just feeling run down and tired and sluggish tend to hit you when you have a, a, a too much pre-workout. However, you do see it in a lot of protocols. Uh, like you see a lot of advanced bodybuilders, you know, nailing things like, you know, big meal and muffins pre-workout and things like that. And, you know, you do see it going around. And I think this is this opens the door to the idea that it is very much preference based. And mm-hmm. some people can definitely like nail a big meal pre-workout and feel fine. Uh, I think for the most part, anecdotally with myself, I felt pretty fine off doing that. And, you know, having quite a big bolus of carbs pre-workout. And I think in the past, looking back at my nutrition, I probably haven't maximized that that post-workout window as much as I could have done in previous phases. Mm. And likewise, in dieting phases, I've, I've taken out things like 
my intra workout which in reality was providing me probably with more benefit than sort of having those carbohydrates away from the training window and mm-hmm. that and that was to a detriment of training performance so you know i think you know like we very much discussed in in the last podcast today a lot of your nutrition as a bodybuilder should be prioritized around training performance and, and just really maximizing that um mm-hmm. and like we're talking about today with digestion it's like finding what's going to work for you getting in your food and just maximizing any sort of window of opportunity that you have so sticking on that topic you mentioned sort of insulin sensitivity and and the pre and post workout windows now obviously when when we're in a day that doesn't have a workout in it we we don't have this post workout window anymore and we we just we're sort of chilling throughout the day maybe we're, we're at work or whatever what happens to nutrition do you ch- tend to change nutrition on a rest day do you increase fats lower carb do you think there's any sort of ad like advantage into running high fat lower carb rest days for insulin sensitivity um or potential like blood glucose levels or anything like that um have you had any experience with sort of swapping and changing things with with rest days i know from um anecdotal experience and and kind of what i've done with clients myself um there's a lot of um kind of positive return from looking at tapering down carbohydrate on non-training days Um, and reflecting kind of if we look at energy demands across the week those the the energy demands on training days are going to be a hell of a lot higher Mm. Um, and it it makes logical sense to potentially decrease caloric intake a little bit on non-training days in favor of being able to push that bracket a little bit higher on training days yeah. um, and place more kind of fuel substrate and, and nutrition around where we where we probably most need it. Um, so from a from a non-training day perspective, I like to see a little bit of a, a drop in in calories in general, okay. um, and then just taper down carbohydrate to um, you know if 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 training days are high, then I go a lot lower. But you know, looking at a lower carbohydrate format on an on a rest day. Um, and the timing of that's really going to depend on what kind of lifestyle they live. Um, you know, if somebody's more active and if somebody's got high neat levels and they're a laborer, then I'd probably still give them a fair amount of carbohydrate. Um, but if somebody's kind of sedentary and they're desk based or, you know, um, if I've got a lot of kind of admin work to do and I'm on a, on a non-trained day, which is what mostly happens for the weeks, um, I'll taper that down throughout the day and I'll, I'll mostly stick to proteins and fats okay. uh, and keep blood sugar levels nice and stable. And then potentially in the evening, maybe one or two carb meals. You know, if we know carbohydrate coming on board is going to start to kind of increase um, serotonin production and serotonin can get translated into melatonin in the body, um, being the sleep-inducing hormone, we've got a, be- a benefit in the evening of placing carbs carbs there. And, they, you know, it's something to look forward to and it's something satiating. So the worst thing is going to bed hungry, especially when you're dieting. So if you know you've got, like yourself, a big bowl of oats before you get to bed, um, it's a win-win, right? Yeah. Uh, I think in a in a massing phase, there's a big benefit if we look at over a longer period of time, if we look at cell sensitivity and maintaining better levels of insulin sensitivity sure. uh, and a metabolic function, there's a big benefit of, of, of looking at those lower carb days spread throughout the week on your non-training days. Um, and I, I know for a fact that um, I work with Jordan and what, what you know, from from a nutritional perspective, I've done this in the past as well. When I look at kind of testing fasted blood sugar levels and I look at blood sugar levels throughout the day, but especially in the morning, when I go through phases of having higher carbs every day, um, they're, they're, they're getting a lot higher in okay. general. 
they'll, they'll start to rise over the over the coming weeks. If I pull in, like training at the moment is two on one off, just upper lower off repeat. Okay. Um, every third day, if I pull in a in a low carbohydrate day, it tends to bring fasted glucose levels down, and I set, I stay more sensitive. Um, and metabolic function just gets prolonged and sustained for a longer period of time. Yeah, it's interesting that I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, f- from myself, mate, it's not something that I've. I've ever tried and I've never tried sort of higher fat lower carb on rest days and and I think that's maybe because looking back at my splits and the way that I've trained over the last sort of couple of years it's always been sort of normally at least five days a week if not six days a week of training and and definitely for the last 12 months it's always been six days so you know essentially it just it just hasn't really opened up the door to me thinking okay wow on this day like i should be changing things or i should yep. have a look at because i still feel like that you know the only day that i have off I still feel like I've, I've got a lot of recovery demands because okay. i'm trying to recover from a lot of training i think for people that are maybe doing a split like yourself where you are having sort of more of a structure to two on one off type thing it, it, it definitely breeds relevance to look at that day and, and, and changing things slightly. And it's something that I've looked to do with clients. Do you feel that like appetite wise, do you struggle with your appetite at all when massing? Have you ever struggled with it? And, and do these rest day macros make you feel any different in terms of appetite? I think there's definitely like, if we look at um, periods where food intake is higher, you know, yeah. I've been I've I've been at like the the six and a half seven thousand calorie mark on training wow. day. Wow, fuck. This is where like post workout ends up being like four hundred fifty grams of carbs, five hundred grams of carbs, um, and then we're gonna have you know two or three carb meals after that. So the volume of food is is pretty um pretty disgusting after a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, having those days where I completely pull carbohydrates down, and calories aren't going to be much lower, but they're going to be a little bit lower, but carbs are going to be a lot lower, and I might have one carb meal, um, I end up looking forward to those days. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a bit of a break from a, you know, having that volume of food is going to be quite taxing on the digestive system in general. Sure. Uh, so it's going to give the digestive system a bit of a break, but from a mental aspect, it means that Kind of, I'm, I'm kind of at the end of that day. I'm, I'm more ready to then go back into a training day and 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 consume a lot more. Um, it's it's kind of a it, it works well in terms of just giving a little bit bit of a break of such a high volume of food. Um, and and kind of there's only so many bagels and bowls of cereal that you can eat before you get sick of it. So um, having a day of protein and fat with some veg for most of the meals is is pretty nice. Yeah, it's almost like a psychological thing because you, you, if you if you were just sort of like sitting around on your rest day and just eating a fuckload of bagels and square bars, like I think you just think like, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Um, yeah. I think you know it's it's worked well with some of my sort of female clients that have potentially had sort of past problems with their eating, maybe disorderly eating or, or even perhaps eating disorders in the, cause it, 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 you know, in their, in their head, you know, they, they do have this slight relationship with energy expenditure and calories. And they just think that, you know, oh, I can only eat when I train. And, and this idea of, of having calories quite similar. So not dropping calories massively, but having more dietary fat because it's such low food volume. They don't feel like they're gorging on a load of carbs, but they're still hitting decent calories to ensure a surplus. So psychologically, it kind of works quite well. Um, so I found that that to be sort of good because otherwise you'll get complaints of when, 
you know, and I'm not sure if you found it with your clients, uh, any of any of your clients you've worked with, but I found I've worked with a few girls that have come from either very very low body weights or past eating disorders like anorexia, etc. And, and some of the calories that they're on to just gain weight is just absurd. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not sure as to the science behind that and why potential, you know, having very low body weight and eating disorders sort of some people come out of that phase and have to eat bags of food even when they've recovered mm. uh, to sort of gain weight i'm not too sure as to the logistics behind that but i find that a lot and then sort of trying to keep that consistent is quite tough mm. um so yeah for sure you know i think this is some, this is something that a lot of people can can consider so another thing another topic that i wanted to cover is is your supplementation so the actual supplements that that you found to be advantageous when it comes to to digestion i know that i've seen a lot of your posts on instagram and and you tend to have you know quite a decent array of supplements that people have might not have heard of or used before so walk us through sort of your your ideas behind supplementation when it comes to uh, the processes that we've been talking about today yeah um, you know, before we probably start, it's probably worth noting that there'll probably be people listening to this that say, you know, I, I don't use any digestive support and I'm absolutely fine. Sure. Um, and and that, that's the thing, like, is this stuff essential? Absolutely not. Um, but could it improve kind of the process and could it improve us by 5% or even 2%? It, it definitely. Um, sure. So it's got value, but it's not essential. Um, but if we look at kind of digestion in general, from especially when I'm dealing with a client, we're looking at the ingestion of food, we're looking at digestion in general, absorption of stimulation, so looking at kind of nutrient absorption in the small intestine, and then looking at elimination, so that would be kind of waste leaving the body. Um, uh, and the basic things I'd look at are from an ingestion perspective, um, you know, taking the time to actually, this sounds absolutely stupid, but taking the time to actually eat food and taking the time to chew, um, it's yeah. going to, you know, if we look at most clients that I'll deal with now and I'm looking at kind of a high volume of people who are PTs and people who are living busy, busy lifestyles, you know, you're, you're eating a, a meal out of a Tupperware in three seconds and then running into your next client or quickly eating it in between a Skype call and then running into your next Skype call. Like we're not really thinking about, the meal in general and we're not really taking time to actually um eat it so you know the amount of times that you're chewing your food and increasing the surface area of that food is going to start to improve nutrient absorption um you know all the saliva going around your mouth while you're eating that is going to be a digestive aid in general so if we look at the the enzymes within saliva breaking down food um you know being antimicrobial as well so kind of minimizing um pathogens and bacteria within your food like the, the most simple stuff of chewing your food is going to have a massive benefit on, on digestion before you supplement um but from a from a supplementary perspective you could probably break it down into a couple of areas um the most common and you said you tend to see this becoming a lot more common kind of in in the industry now is just the use of enzymes um so if you look at you know amylase protease lipase breaking down starches proteins and, and lipids and fats um, you know, there's a lot of good digestive enzymes out there that we can supplement with throughout the day. I'd normally kind of, for most of my guys and girls and for myself in general, um, I, I like to use kind of, um, enzymes with each meal instead of just saying, I'll take some in the morning, take some in the evening. Um, so maybe kind of just a, a dose with, with each meal is going to help you tick along throughout the day. You could use it morning and night, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but looking at enzymes in general, um, 
Do you want to say brands here, or just want, do you want to keep it to just what we're looking at? Say brands. I think that would be really helpful. So people um, just have so, an idea as to what to use. Like, probably the, the the two best ones that I've used in the past. Um, Anabolic Designs, Ravenous. Okay. Uh, really good one. And it's got kind of some digestive tonics in there as well that will just ease the digestive system in general, so herbs and stuff as well. Um, and then Thorn Research or Thorn Labs. Um, do one called Biogest, which is a, another really good enzyme product. So those would be my kind of my top two to go to for for a digestive enzyme. Okay. Um, we look at probably the, the second kind of most important aspect, HCL. So if we look at um, hydrochloric acid um, in general, um, it's going to be produced in the body um, naturally. Um, through epithelial cells, so they're basically like gastric glands, which are found in the um, the lining of the fundus or the stomach, um, and we produce them naturally. But when we're taking on excessive amount of foods, or for most bodybuilders or physique athletes, or whatever, they're going to take on higher than normal amounts of protein. Sure. Uh, and it's going to require, for the most part, higher than normal amounts of supplementation or enzymes or acids to break down. Yeah. So, betaine HCL. 18 hydrochloric acid, which is basically our exogenous version of this acid, um, is going to help with protein breakdown and assimilation and is breaking down food. Um, now, this is going to be one that I use with, with a lot of people and myself in general when protein intake's high, but also people that are struggling with kind of um, slow motility, so slow stools, um, going to the toilet infrequently, or getting bloating a lot from kind of um, higher protein meals. Um, HCL is going to be something that's really cool to, to supplement with. Okay. The, the Thorn one, the Biogest, already has this in, so you get a decent whack with it. Okay. Um, and dosage-wise, we're probably looking at between kind of 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams per meal. So if you had like a meal of 30 or 40 or 50 grams of, of, of protein, animal-based, we'd look at kind of putting in that amount of HCL per meal. Um, you, it's easy to, to dose this stuff too high and I, I like for I found that a lot of female as well females if I use kind of 500 milligrams when HCL is over consumed we, st- we tend to get a bit of kind of like a refluxy um, feeling in the in the um, digestive tract and um, it's simply because we've just taken a little bit too much okay. um, which is why something like thorns, I think it's got 500 milligrams in. Um, for a lot of females, I've found that to be a little bit too strong, and I just won't get them to take it. But for a lot of guys, it works well. But HCL is going to be a really important one. Um, so enzymes and HCL for a food breakdown, awesome. Um, if we look at other kind of digestive aids, um, you know, this is this is a funny one. Like ap- the whole notion of apple cider vinegar, mm-hmm. like this. Everyone praises how great this is and how many how many benefits it has. Um, it's got its place. It's not kind of a, a superfood in any way, and it's not magical. Um, but what this does, um, if we look at pH levels in the stomach and we look at our ability to endogenously, so within us, produce HCL, okay. um, pH levels within the stomach are going to be a really important part of that. So apple cider vinegar, the acidity of this vinegar um, can naturally help increase stomach pH which will in turn increase natural production of HCL. So that can be really important. It's also got some live bacteria. If you get the um, apple cider, apple cider vinegar with the mother, with, the mother yeah. um, with those fermented properties, it's going to be beneficial. Um, but the main kind of resultant factor for me would be to use it to increase stomach pH. Um, glutamine is another one. Um, yeah. Glutamine is cool. 
um, especially if I'm running pro schools with people um, and they've got kind of um, dysfunction within the gut mucosa, then I'd use glutamine as a, an aid to decrease intestinal permeability. Now, intestinal permeability is basically, have you heard of like the whole notion of leaky gut? Yes, yes. It's kind of like played down a lot and slated a lot, but you know, the, the prominence of this, people kind of big it up quite a lot in being like the a big factor um, and we've got to kind of die that down a little bit but it, it's still relevant it's basically um, leaky gut or whatever you want to call it um, when we've got high intestinal permeability we've basically got small food particles or molecules or wh whatever you want to call it um, escaping from where they should be basically through digestion okay. um, and what we find is it's going to cause uh, an autoimmune autoimmune response and inflammation within the body so the autoimmune response could be like you getting bloating or distension or whatever. Um, and when we find people with kind of gut issues, this is normally the case. Um, and we need to somehow kind of improve the integrity of the gut. Now, glutamine itself, um, there's research supporting the fact that this starts to decrease intestinal permeability. And it's almost like a, a repair um, aid so it helps basically build the uh, the cell wall okay. uh, and decrease that um, I guess from a supplementation side those would be my big four um, but for most people I'd always just tend to go is looking at how we're eating food food selection first the eat the, the most simple processes of digestion in terms of chewing your food and taking time over your meals um, and then looking at where applicable adding in an enzyme first um, and for, for a lot of guys as well, when on higher protein intakes, HCL can be really, really good. Um, and then the other stuff kind of sprinkled on top. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, I think there's some there's some great stuff for people to take home there. I personally really, really like the chewing aspect, and I think that, you know, so it, yeah, it's so simple. But, but, but it's something that even I would, like, I, I listened to that and I thought, wow, like, yeah, that's pretty cool, but it's so simple. And... It's something that within our industry, it, you are so right with personal trainers that just don't give enough time to eat food. Yeah. The amount, the amount of people that I work with that are PTs that just don't, that just constantly tell me they're shoveling in food at like 10 p.m. at night, and nor is that that's not optimal because they haven't, they really haven't optimally situated their food around their training, but. They're also just like killing themselves with trying to eat this amount of food late at night because they haven't been able to eat throughout the day. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because they just don't own their time enough. I think, you know, one of the biggest biggest take homes is that if you are a PT, you should own your time enough to, to have that sort of 20 minutes that you need to eat. Like you, at the end of the day, you've got your own goals. And if your own goals don't go down the swanee, then... You, you're you're going to look look like a crap PT like anyway because you're not setting a good example for your clients. Yeah. Um. So you know I think that's a, that's of huge importance. One of the things that I I've you know anecdotally with myself and also with with clients for sure, uh, during con competition prep phases, the the frequency at which we are going to the toilet definitely changes. Now. Have you had this with with clients sort of dieting down? Um, and do do you, uh, this is something that I find. Um, obviously, like fem females will eventually open up about it and they'll say, "Oh, it's TMI, AJ, but this my weigh-in was high because of this. 
I'm not yeah. going to the toilet properly. I find, Callum, that most of the time it's because they're stressing about it. They yeah. realise that to- like they're, they're going less frequently and then they automatically think they're bloated. Now, what, is there anything that we can do with regards to supplementation to help this? I know that you mentioned one supplement that was that was potentially going to help with this. Um, I've used anecdotally psyllium husk as yeah. something that could help. Um, but what do you think the role of stress plays in, in potential stomach distress and just not, not going to the toilet properly? I think if we look at kind of the prep... Um, phase in general stress is probably going to be our, our biggest limiting factor in the body responding in general right yeah yeah um, we look at stress having implications on digestive function um it's going to have huge implications on digestive function as well so um you know any stress that the body is under whether that's kind of excessive training or excessive psychological stress or excessive whatever um, you know, digest that there's certain mechanisms in the body that can start to get kind of down regulated first while we start to supply more kind of energy towards fixing or um, kind of solving problems that are going on in the rest of the body. So, digestion in general is going to be something that is um, neglected a little bit through those times. Um, now, I think one of the big things, like you said, especially with females in general, like as a common thing, is once they've had kind of no stools for two days, they'll freak out because they'll think, I, I, I must be putting on body fat or I, I must be bloaty because um, I'm not going to the toilet or whatever. You know, there's a certain certain things that we can do to um, ensure that starts to minimize. But sometimes, like, eat, I've had clients as well that I'll do everything I can to make sure that stool and motility levels higher, but yeah. they still go. Um, and you just got to manage the best out of that situation. I think from a from a change in food selection and from a change in food volume, once we've gone from a, a higher food intake and amassing phase, where by but by, by default, um, green veg and fibrous veg is going to be a little bit higher, or any kind of roughage from veg is going to be higher. Um, starchy carbohydrates are going to be higher as well, so the amount of fiber they're having per day is going to be increased, and stress is generally lower. Stores are going to be regularly um, more regular during those times. Yes. As we enter prep, a food volume decreases. Um, B, the amount of starch carbohydrate we're having also decreases. So fiber is going to be uh, more of a limited resource, which is why we you've already said it, silly mask. Um, yes. Why we look at supplementary fiber. Now this is kind of this is a big thing when we look at stool rate and look at stool quality. Um, food selection is going to be important and managing stress is going to be important and that could be training stress as well it doesn't have to be kind of lifestyle stress yeah agreed agreed uh, sleep as well so obviously the basic fundamentals of getting quality sleep um, but from a from a supplementation perspective insoluble fiber is oh. going to have um, a big part in stool kind of quality and stool um We've got to account for fat and carbohydrate equating to more calories from flax as well. And if you're adding in like a, a green shape with flaxseed in, which you're not really going to enjoy, when you're dieting and you're on fuck all calories, you don't really want to spend 150, kilo, 150 of those calories on flaxseed. Um, oh, wow. It's going to be that lower calorie option, which we can get a good quality dose of fiber in yeah. um, to help that kind of um, that increase in, in, in fiber and, and help stools along. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think 
What do you find during dieting phases that your veg intake will go down or up? Up massively. Yeah. If anything, if anything, I find that my initially my food volume will increase because the the momentary sign of hunger makes me want to eat much higher volume foods like big salad bowls i'm talking like huge salad bowls whereas in a gaining phase the like the actual volume in terms of like how much does it weigh will be Mm. down because instead of 150 grams of oats cooked in about a million kilograms of water i'm having like the smallest bowl of granola possible to minimize food volume so that i can actually just finish it because that's the goal is finishing the food not sort of making sure that i'm full uh so so initially probably my digestion initially shoots up and i get better digestion and i you know i'm going more frequently to the toilet etc and then as we get deeper into prep when food volume eventually does get lower and it's tougher to work up your fiber content, I think that's where things like this can come into account, like, you know, psyllium husk and, and also, you know, just controlling stress, like you said, and making sure that you you are ticking the boxes when it comes to just your consistency with things. Like, if you have a day where you're not hydrated and, yeah. you know, you're, you're, not, you're not managing all your other variables when it comes to food intake you can expect some dietary or digestion fuck-ups you know you might not go as frequently and you might not go as frequently when you get back into your normal routine because your body's had this sort of fluctuation of things so i think consistency is is a big factor i think go on now go on you go mate i was gonna say like from a from a protocol perspective on what i'd look at first like you've already just said like Green veg intake and all that fibrous veg is going to provide us with good quality soluble fiber. Insoluble in the dieting phase can come from something like psyllium, which is really easy. Yeah. Uh, like you brought up hydration and then managing recovery. Um, and, and after that, if, if it's still persisting, then we've got to look at other variables. Now, if we want to get something moving, um, not a lot of people will know this, but it's quite a, kind of a useful thing to, to kind of know. Um, if we want to get stuff moving, then... We've got a few kind of digestive um, relaxants that can help us start to increase stool rate. Um, So if we look at um, a a, a kind of uh, a a form of magnesium, magnesium citrate is going to be something that loosens. um, It it basically has uh, laxative properties and it loosens the the bowels and the process on there. So magnesium citrate in kind of a a flush scenario, Mm -hmm. having a gram every three hours or so can start to get things increasing and then just look at getting the basics ticked after that to, to kind of sustain stuff. Um, but I think if people are struggling after that, you've just got to look at your ability to manage stress. Um, and nine times out of 10, there'll be something that you'll have to improve from there that you can see. Yeah. Yeah. A funny story about magnesium citrate. I heard on a, I heard a podcast, the first time I heard about magnesium citrate was from John Meadows who used it to, yeah. to make weights and he just uh, took a load of it before a few of his shows so that he, he didn't have to sit in the sauna yeah. anymore, he just uh, had intense diarrhea because <laughs> he found that his physique looked a little bit better when he had diarrhea as opposed to being extremely, extremely fucked up in the sauna. Incredible. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, I think I think that's a great place to sort of leave this discussion and and sort of wrap up. So th- th- I think people will take a lot from from this episode in in terms of some things that they 
you know, some some trivial things that they haven't perhaps heard about before, and some things, especially, I, I know that people with the digestion thing and contest prep and feeling like constipated, etc., people don't tend to talk out about that very frequently, mm-hmm. and the amount of times that I hear girls, like, having to, you know, daily take laxatives just yeah. to, you know, get, get through this phase is quite... Is quite high um and you know hearing that there's potentially other options or that they should just try not to stress about it is probably going to be a breath of fresh air for them um and just make the process a little bit better so um callum i'd like to thank you you very much for for coming on the podcast um and sharing your knowledge if for, for listeners that, that want to sort of follow your journey and and follow you further and, and learn a little bit more from you where where can they go to do that um give sort of your your most active social media accounts and, and then we'll wrap things up. Um, so I guess I'm the most active on Instagram, which okay. is just, just CR physique. So CR underscore um, under case physique, one word. Um, same for Facebook, same for website. Amazing. Cool. And if, if people are in the Nottingham area and sort of want to inquire for your services and, and personal training, if you've got a website for that or an email address. Yeah, just go on to, uh, go on to the, 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 the Instagram and you can just click contact now. Or if it's kind of in-house personal training, then um, being an M10 coach, we take people through through M10 as well. So if you're, you're Nottingham-based, then come in and, and, and let's have a chat or just go on the website and, and inquire. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'll make sure to link all of those things below as usual in the bio. Um, guys, thanks very much for, for listening to episode 42. Um, I would like to also thank you for the support on recent episodes it's been awesome we got a few new reviews on itunes as well so i'm very very grateful for those um we have got uh, another awesome guest next week to look forward to in episode 43 so i will see you guys for that also any questions that you do have for me or callum on this topic uh, or any feedback on this episode please leave them in the youtube comments uh below and yeah guys thanks very much for listening and we'll see you soon cheers callum Cheers, mate.